0: Welcome, friends, to the third episode of the second season of Heart to Heart with Michael, a program for the bereaved community. Our purpose is to empower our community with resources, support, and advocacy information. This season's theme is a celebration of life, and we're lucky to have world famous Philip Proctor on our program with us today. Today's show is Dear Friends Remembering Peter. We'll be talking with Philip about his relationship with Firesign Theater member Peter Bergman, some of Philip's favorite memories of Peter, and finally, we'll learn what Philip thinks Peter's legacy is to us and how he celebrates Peter today. Philip Proctor is a celebrated actor, singer, writer, and producer, and a founding member of the legendary three-time Grammy-nominated Firesign Theater Comedy Quartet, whose archives were just purchased by the Library of Congress. He's played on and off Broadway, toured the U.S., Russia, and Canada, and is a longtime member of the celebrated Antillas Classical Ensemble in Glendale. He's won Theatre World, L.A. Weekly, and Drama Critics Awards, and shares a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame for the role of Howard in the Emmy-winning Rugrats. Voice credits include Academy Award-winning films for Pixar and Disney, including the anime Spirited Away, The Drunken French Monkey in Dr. Doolittle, and Dr. Wittig in Assassin's Creed. He recently appeared in the world premiere of For Piano and Harpo at the Gary Marshall Theater, written by and starring Dan Castellanada, and has just released three books, including his autobiography, Where's My Fortune Cookie? It is with great joy and tremendous pride that we welcome Philip to the program. Welcome, Philip.
1: Well, hello, and it's so nice to talk to you, Michael.
0: Thank you so much. Let's get right to it, because we have a lot to talk about. And oh, yeah. So much here. Let's start by talking how you met Peter.
1: Yeah, well, it's it's a, it's a bizarre and long story, and I'll try to make it short. It's all in the book, by the way, Where's My Fortune Cookie, which is available at Amazon.com and Barnes and & Noble. Uh, but basically, Bergman and I met at Yale University back in 1958 when I joined the Dramat, and he was writing uh, lyrics for a musical written by Austin Pendleton, who has had a wonderful career that's still ongoing, Uh, called Tom Jones and I got the lead role in Tom Jones so I got to sing Peter's words and I got to know him he was quite a a bright and interesting character and he was actually pursuing a uh, uh, study in uh, labor economics and the history of the labor movement in America so we connected primarily through uh, our work in the Dramat now in the Dramat at that time in 58 were a few people like Sam Waterston, wow. John Badham, Peter yep. Hunt, Richard Maltby Jr. Uh, uh, some people may know from Broadway uh, the, the careers of these wonderful young men uh, at the time. It was, it was really a, a great time to be in the, the Undergraduate Dramatic Association at Yale, which was known for its drama school. And eventually I got a B.A. in drama. But that was my first connection with Peter. And, and then, uh, as you will hear, we had another very interesting reconnection. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, <laughs> I'll tell you about it right now. Uh, <laughs> I did a show called uh, The Amorous Flea, which was an off-Broadway show that I won a Theatre World Award for, presented to mm-hmm. me by Paul Newman, of all people. Oh. And eventually that show came out to Los Angeles. And after I finished the show in L.A., uh, I went back to New York I did a musical called Time for Singing. Uh, I then did a, another play with Brandon DeWilda. I understudied Brandon DeWilda. And we became very close friends. We drove out to L.A. together. We connected up for some reason with Peter Fonda. And one particular evening, it was November 11th, 1966, we went to the Sunset Strip to participate in a, um, a, a uh, protest of a curfew that they were going to try to impose on young people at that time. Uh, Peter was doing research for a little movie he was working on called Easy Rider, okay? <laughs> so he was interested in a what the youth used... Yeah, a <laughs> little movie. And <laughs> uh, and during that particular demonstration where the LA police and the sheriffs uh, tried a pincer movement to to push that there were like a thousand young people there protesting this ridiculous curfew idea. Uh, I sat down on an open issue of the L.A. Free Press, which was the radical newspaper at that time, uh, very much involved in, in uh, anti-Vietnamese war protests and things. And I sat down on a picture of Peter Bergman. When I pulled <laughs> this thing out from under my butt, there was it said, KPFK newsman, Peter Bergman, interviews returning Vietnam War veterans. Well, the next day after everything went down, Peter was handcuffed and Brandon was beaten up. And I was writing for, the, for uh, the East Village Other in New York at the time. So I had a press card that I held up and the police just flowed around me like a hot knife through butter. But the next day I called up KPFK and I found out that Peter Bergman was the Wizard of Oz on a counterculture late night call-in talk show that he had created called Radio Free Oz.
0: Remember
2: and that. so
1: I got in touch with him. And on the seventeenth of November, I went down and got on the show, and that's when I met the other members of the Firesign
0: Theater. Wow, that's that's. Tr- First of all, the image of you pulling him out of your butt at the exact right moment is going to live with me forever. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 don't apologize, please, please, please. I I'll try to get over it. But okay. it's it, it's it's nice that the way or interesting at least the way these things sort of the world moves to bring you together. So exactly. now, that's
1: really what my book is about. I call it my silly, uh, surrealistic psychic story or something like that. <laughs> and it really is true that the book is just filled. My life has been filled with bizarre coincidences, uh, right out of, you know, an episode of the twilight zone. And, uh, you'll, you'll hear about some more of them as we talk.
0: I, 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 would love to, but tell us right now about when you started the Firesign theater and how Peter was involved with that.
1: Well, Peter actually started the Fireside Theater uh, because when when I went to the show, I met two other uh, people. I met Phil Austin and David Osman, and Phil oh. Austin was producing Peter's show, and uh, Dave Osman uh, had just quit, I think, as being the head of the drama department at KPFK. KPFK is a Pacifica station. It's, it's listener-sponsored uh, and you know, a, a kind of a community station part of mm-hmm. a chain of, of Pacifica stations. WBAI in New York is, is another one.
0: I remember BAI B-I very well. They were the ones that sure. that uh, had the lawsuit with the seven words. That's correct. So
1: I meet Dave and I meet Phil Austin, and we discover that we're all fire signs. Okay. Right. I'm a Leo. Okay. Peter is a Sagittarian. Uh, David is a Sagittarian. Phil Austin is an Aries. Okay, so so Bergman came up with this idea that we would be the Oz Fire Sign Theater nice. on the spot, all right? And we actually improvised together uh, that very evening. We did a thing called the Oz Film Festival, where <laughs> we were showing uh, selections from our movies on the radio. And <laughs> at, at one point, Austin was playing a, a character named Jack Love, who was making adult movies, okay? (laughs) Movies for the bedroom, he called them. And he wanted to show a selection from one of his films, Blondie Pays the Rent, okay? And so he started the movie, and Bergman said, no, 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 wait a minute, no, no. We can't show a dirty movie on the radio. radio. You know, we'll lose our license. And the phones lit up. People called and said, you can't censor him like that. It's radio. Why can't he show his movie on the radio? Let him show his movie on the radio. And it was at that point that we, we realized that we were onto something. <laughs> there was a wonderful, gullible audience out there that believed everything that we were doing was real, okay? And, and so uh, we, we started to utilize the art of the put-on, which was perfect in Bergman's show, because he would interview all kinds of you know, amazing people, gurus and people who were abducted by flying saucers and people who you know, and ha- were having bad acid trips, and phoned in for help, and, and so we could then become these various characters. Uh, and Bergman was, who was the greatest straight man in the world, would interview us as though we were really, you know, really the people that we said we were. And that was the beginning of the of the crazy surrealistic comedy that we uh, created together.
0: Do you, do you think that you could? I mean, this is radio, and and Firesign moved on into vinyl, and they they did do films, they did do some TV, but don't don't you think that radio is really the place for this because the the mind makes images so much better than the camera can.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, the the imagination is the key to radio. Uh, there's a book that we put out, which you can get at firesigntheater.com, which <laughs> is called uh, The Duke of Madness Motors. And it contains uh, an MP3 of, like, 80 hours of our radio shows, okay? So we practiced our our radio techniques uh, quite a bit before we did our first record, okay, at Columbia.
0: I'd like you to talk about your relationship with Peter, uh, because I think that was different than with the other guys. Correct me if I'm wrong.
1: Yes, it was. And it it led, eventually, to uh, a a two-man collaboration, which we... uh, fell into because Peter and I wanted to reach the audience. Now, the Firesign Theater was creating phonograph records, Mm -hmm. and that was an amazing platform in the 60s, the late 60s and early 70s, because it was basically uncensored, okay? We Mm -hmm. we were not creating our material for airplay. We were creating it for, for home listening, and therefore these discs... Like unidentified flying uh, objects, could go out flying out into the public, and the public would, you know, buy them and play them at home, and 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 we would then gain the opportunity to do more records because mm-hmm. our fan base was growing. And at the same time, there was a little thing called FM radio, which mm-hmm. started earnest, right, and that meant that in college stations, particularly all over the country. People could play an entire thirty-minute side of a record, you know, without commercial interruptions, and that and that also built our fan base among young college-age people.
0: But I, I want certain- to say something. I want to say something here. You might you might not know is that I was one of those people playing those album sides in college radio, and oh, we you just- were where was that? I went to Brandeis University, and we uh, we played these um, as often as we could. But not only did we play them, what you don't know. Is that while the mic was off and you were going over the air, we were actually we had them memorized, and we were actually doing them in the studio at the same time
1: <laughs> well that's that's really it's <laughs> that's wonderful, <laughs> and it's true that uh, people did memorize our material well we we, we were trailblazers in that we created long form comedy uh, right. based on well, gosh, I, I guess our love of 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 uh, narrative and of hearing stories on the radio, which we all grew up with. Anyway, Bergman and I wanted to get out on the road and tour and meet our fans and develop new material. And Phil Austin never liked to fly, okay? So he had to go to every gig that we did when we actually toured uh, in a car with his dogs and his wife, and we had to design our – uh, our tours in such a way that we could go in and promote. We'd fly in and promote the, tour, the 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 gig, and then Austin would catch up with us in time to rehearse the show and 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 put it on its feet. Okay, but Bergman and I were very fluid. We could fly anywhere, and we could. Uh, it was a two man act. We carried all of our props and costumes in two suitcases, and we really got out there and we 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 played in Hawaii. We played in Canada. We played all over the place, and we kind of spread the fame of the Firesign Theater as half the wits of the Firesign Theater. And David and Phil, they stayed in Hollywood and were continuing to make records, which we then, you know, when we came back, would participate in. Uh, so that was, that was the, 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 the schism that happened in the group. And that, of course, was something that Peter and I, uh, with our kind of long history together, felt really easy about doing. And then we also got involved, Bergman and I, in writing movies and stuff like that. All right, hold it right where you are. I'm Lieutenant Bradshaw with a piece of advice for you. Now, here in the studio, it's all knuckles and know-how. But when that red light goes off, I'm just playing Harry Ames, citizen and weekend father. Now, take a tip from a cop who
2: does. Radio work can be just as dirty and exciting as hunting down public enemy number one. So when I get home, my old lady knows what I need and how. A warm
1: heap and bowl full of loosener's castor oil flakes with real glycerin vibrofoam. It doesn't just wash your mouth out, it cleans the whole system right on down the line. So come on, you little rookies, tell your mom to get on it and do it every day. Just remember what the guys down at the precinct house sing Oh, it ain't no use if you ain't got the boost, the boost you get from loosener's. Loosener's. The all-weather breakfast. Hello, dear friends. This is Phil Proctor, putting on a particularly scrumptious English accent to entice you to listen to the Chromium Switch radio podgazine by going to chromiumswitch.org now. Be there or beware. <laughs>
2: You are listening to Heart to Heart with Michael. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our program, please send an email to Michael Lieben at michael at heart to heart with michael.com Now, back to Heart to Heart with Michael.
0: I really enjoyed getting to know how you and Peter became acquainted in the first segment. And in this segment, we're going to do some reminiscing. Okay. If, if there is one memory of Peter that you'll always replay back in your head, what is it?
1: Well, you know, Peter Bergman was bald at an early age. Uh, lost his hair at an early age, I should say, and uh, and yet he did have hair around the fringe of his head,
2: uh, well. curly
1: hair. And one of the things that he would always do was he would twiddle, twiddle uh, his hair. He'd like put his finger in his hair and twiddle it behind his his left ear, and that was something that we all were totally aware of all the time, and and found amusing. He also had a little dog. Uh, uh, it was a Boston bull called Nergi, and Nergi would, uh, during our writing sessions, he would plop Nergi in his lap, and and Nergi would fall asleep and would snore. Okay, and so Bergman twirling his hair with Nergi in his lap is this image that I cannot get out of my head. Okay, but the main thing was: listen, we we spent decades working together. Okay, and so uh, I have so many memories of of the bizarre things that happened. Uh, there was one time, for instance. i remember the context of of my life with Bergman was in the late '60s and early '70s. It was the hippie, the day, the hippie days, and the the, the youth movement and the Aquarian Age and all of that and drug experimentation. And there was one time <clears throat> when I was on Radio Free Eyes with Bergman on KRLA radio and we were interviewing David Crosby and wow. Bergman overdosed on brownies. He had he had he ingested some hash brownies and he basically broke down in tears during a commercial break and, he, and his girlfriend had to take him home. Leaving because, me with David Crosby to continue the interview, and Crosby said that the Wizard of Oz had gotten into his his balloon basket and floated up into the sky and off and off over the horizon. Okay, but I mean it's it's difficult. Dave
0: Crosby would know this; he would recognize this from afar.
1: Yeah, right. Uh, uh, oh gosh, there were so many times. Peter was was a, a, a wonderfully kind of aggressive uh, uh, character. And there was one time when Bob Bob Marley and the Wailers did their first concert at a place called Paul's Mall in Boston. And Peter and I were booked as their opening act, okay? (laughs) So we're all in the same dressing room together, and these guys, the Wailers, are smoking um, uh, ganja in great big splits, what they call them,
2: something
1: like that. They were basically they had rolled uh, a, a newspaper, I think it was the Wall Street Journal, into oh, you know these these reefers that they were smoking. So the entire dressing room was was filled with smoke. And Bergman said, "Could we have a, you know could we have some pot?" And so Marley reaches into a a, 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 a bag that he's got, which is actually a uh, a, a bank bag that you put money in it's hard to describe and he took out this huge handful of marijuana and plopped it into Bergman's hand now at the end of this experience we said look we we can't open for you guys you have to you have to you're the headliners you have to go first and then we'll follow up after that well you can imagine they they were wonderful but it was their audience okay and so when we went out to do our highfalutin comedy, our, our very complicated you know, intellectual comedy, we were playing to an audience that basically didn't know who the heck we were. I'm sure there were some of our fans in there. And I remember at, after I did this one crazy monologue, I hear from the back of the house, what did that man say? <laughs> Which we incorporated into one of our into one of our albums. Uh, we did three albums together. TV or not TV? What this country needs is give us a break. And and uh, and we, a lot of the stuff, that, the material that we that we put into those albums came out of our experiences like that. Bergman was a delight to work with. He was just he was just always he was up for anything.
0: It sounds like it was a, a tremendous ride the whole time.
1: It was. It was. And driving around the you know the country, and oh my goodness, we just we really worked well together and uh, and and had a wonderful um, kind of a synergy you know that carried on into our into our stage act. We had quite a successful uh about four or five years of, of touring the the country it was great
0: I, re- I remember that, and I remember thinking you know now everyone's using the Beatles as a model i remember it's funny that you're talking about Dave Crosby because my um, as a kid, my image of you guys was more like Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young because there was Crosby, mm-hmm. Stills, Nash, and Young and then when there wasn't, there was Procter and Bergman and and, and I saw that, so that was the, the model that I had in my head that they were sometimes together and sometimes floating but but always there was this overlay of, of fire sign and, and all of that and, and everything that, that that entailed.
1: Yeah, it's true. There was a great deal of harmony in, in what the four of us did together. OK, I mean, sh- certainly there was also disharmony that happened because we were together for like 50, oh, about 50 years, really. That, that that's unreal. And for arm- me, it was like four years with Peter before he passed away. That's amazing.
0: I envy you your experience. And I think that you could actually make a living doing that. I think that's, yes. a, that's a, a dream life that anybody would, would just be too excited to have.
1: It's true. It's true. That's of course, that's why we're in the entertainment industry, because it's entertaining to be in the industry as well. Well, it's
0: also a lot of hard work to entertain others. If you can also entertain yourself, that I think may be the secret to success for so many decades of, of work. You haven't stopped. You don't breathe. I see your schedule all the time. I see where you are, what you're doing. You just don't slow down.
1: No, it's true. It, it, it keeps it keeps me young.
0: Let's talk about something that's a little more heavy now. Peter passed away in March of 2012. So okay. how things how things changed for you? Because I... I've seen the things that you've done. I've seen the things that you said. You just recently put out a a companion book for Americathon. And the only thing that I saw you write about is I did this for Peter.
1: Yes, it's true. Um, Okay, Peter was secretive in certain ways. And one of the things that he did was that he kept his illness uh, a a secret to the Firesign Theater because he wanted to continue to work with us. He had been diagnosed with uh, a form of leukemia and uh, was re- receiving treatment for it and all of that. But he basically did not let us know. So it, it, when he did pass away, it was, uh, it was kind of sudden, and it was a surprise to us all. Uh, at the time, Peter and I had been collaborating on a couple of books for Bear Manor Media uh, that we were contracted to write. One was Power which was a comic serial, a parody of Life in Hollywood, on a show by uh, called Heat with John Hockenberry on National Public Radio. Peter and I sat together and transcribed the uh, scripts uh, for this book. And uh, we were working on that when he got seriously ill. And we were also working on uh, the story of Americathon, which you mentioned, which is a film that was based on a touring show that we did first called Gothamathon and mm-hmm. then Americathon to raise money to uh, to bail America out of its terrible trillion dollar debt. Okay, I saw this
0: movie on, <laughs> on television. I remember this movie well.
1: Yeah, uh, we, we we kind of lost control of that film and uh, the director Neil Neil Israel hired some other people to finish it. So it wasn't exactly a Fireside Theater or a Procter and Gamble project at, at at the end. But uh, what I did. After Peter passed away, was and, and after uh, like a year or so it passed, I realized I had to finish these projects in his honor. And in so doing, I really was able to revisit the, his genius because I'm working off of recordings, transcribing recordings of our performances, and I'm listening to him, and I'm listening to his mind, and I'm listening to his comic timing and his creation of characters and all of that. And so I really got to spend time with my beloved partner after mm. he had passed because of all the work that we did together and the fact that it has been you know immortalized in in various forms on vinyl and tape and and video and things like that so that was kind of a healing process for me to be to be quite honest with you
0: would you say that by doing these things these projects after he died that you're you're keeping him with you
1: very much so very much so and and actually he uh, shows up in my dreams, mm. and I have dialogue with him. Uh, so there's kind of a bizarre continuity, uh, I guess because of our amazing closeness over all the years, so that in a way he's still with me, and that's very gratifying.
0: I can imagine. <clears throat> I think all of us who've, who've lost somebody close, we, we tend to do what we can to keep them alive and to keep them with us in, in a very real way. Absolutely, that you had that with him is enables you to do this. And you're right. It is gratifying. Sometimes I can feel my daughter being very close to me and it's very gratifying. It's not scary. It's not out of the ordinary. It's not wrong. It's just, it just feels right. It feels good.
1: It does. And, and and if I may, I'm going to tell a a story about my autobiography. The title, as you know, is where's my fortune cookie. Mm -hmm. And basically, uh, and on the front cover is an illustration by uh, a, a wonderful artist named uh, Bob Grossman, who was Peter Bergman's roommate at Yale. And it's a picture of Peter and me hover, uh, under a table in a Chinese restaurant. And that's based on the fact that uh, he and I survived a thing called the Golden Dragon Massacre mm-hmm. in uh, like 40 years ago uh, in San Francisco. It was a, a gangland shooting between the, the Joe Boys and the watching five people were killed and 11 wounded and at the time it was the 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 largest massacre in american history imagine that 40 years ago (laughs) and peter and i survived this uh and then we had to perform the next day in uh boulder colorado and of course we made comedy out of it we uh, because by then everybody knew that there was this horrible shooting that went on and uh it's a, it, the story is is, is uh, told much more coherently in my book than I am right now, because I want to make a particular point about it. One of the jokes was, I never got my fortune cookie, right? <laughs> I
0: remember uh, that, yeah.
1: Luckily, I ordered the duck, and P- Peter said, <laughs> and, he, and I ordered the scared prones, but we never got our fortune cookie, all right? So, uh, at Peter Bergman's memorial in, in, in Los Angeles, at the Electric Lodge, one of our Supporters, a wonderful lady named Gretchen uh, had ordered fortune cookies for everybody, which had <laughs> Peter Bergman's date of birth and death and uh, a line from a Sign Theatre record. Okay, that's lovely. Uh, okay, and he had, she handed them out to everybody, and I said that was so nice of you, Gretchen, because it, it memorializes the fact that we survived, you know, that that gangland shooting. And she said, "What?" I said, y- "You know, the Golden Dragon massacre, the no. restaurant." She said, what? I said, wait a minute. You you don't know about that? No, I don't. Well, then why did you order fortune cookies? And she told me this. She said that Peter came to her in a dream and said to her, I never got my fortune cookie. All right?
0: I need a minute. That is so... Amazing. Well, I mean, if anybody had any questions about it, yeah, here's your answer. there is. Wow.
1: Your answer. Wow Here's your answer. And the other bizarre thing about that event was that a psychic friend of mine named Sharon predicted that I would that we would be in this shooting. She actually said, yeah. you will be in a gangland shooting with foreigners involved. People will be killed and wounded around you, but you and Peter will survive unscathed.
0: This program is a presentation of Hearts Unite the Globe and is part of the HUG Podcast Network. Hearts Unite the Globe is a nonprofit organization devoted to providing resources to the congenital heart defect community to uplift, empower, and enrich the lives of our community members. If you would like access to free resources pertaining to the CHD community, please visit our website at www.hug-podcastnetwork.com for information about CHD, the hospitals that treat children with CHD, summer camps for CHD survivors, and much, much more.
2: I am with Origami Owl Jewelry, and we personalize lockets. It has helped me heal so much by having that locket. I've had other friends and customers who have created lockets. They love their lockets, and they gift lockets to people who are bereaved or they're celebrating somebody. To get your own Origami Owl Locket, contact Nancy Jensen on Facebook or her website, fancydancyme.origamiowl.com. I was five hours old when I had my first surgery.
0: Wow. The only advice I can really give someone like that is to be there for your family.
2: This is life, and you have two choices. You either live it, or you sit in a corner and cry. I am Anna Jaworski, and the host of Heart to Heart with Anna. Join us on Tuesdays at noon Eastern Time on Spreaker, our blog talk radio. We'll cover topics of importance for the congenital heart defect community. Remember, my friends, you are not alone. Buzeko buzeko Bob's
0: Bob's
1: Berserkel Lounge that is under the telephone poles in the exclusive Multimart Shopping
0: shopping Center.
1: Refuel yourself in an atmosphere of righteous indignation. Meet Cult every Thursday night. Bring a date and dine by the whites of her eyes. At At Bob's you don't have to to leave leave your loved loved one in the street. street. Your Your car car is as as welcome as as you are. are. Thousands Thousands of empty empty seats seats in the back back for the the lonely set.
0: set. You don't have to wear a clock around
1: your neck to know what time it is at Bob's. Meals cooked with real religious fervor. So don't get a job. Hang out at Bob's. Take upholstery Avenue to the corner of Third and Furniture. Turn right at the statue of the square round poet and you're at...
2: Bob's Berserko Lounge. It's weird. You are listening to Heart to Heart with Michael. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on Michael's program, please email him at michael at heart to heart with michael.com Now, back to our program.
0: It's been great getting to know about you and your relationship with Peter Bergman. So now let's find out how you celebrate Peter and what you think his legacy is.
1: I guess the most important thing that I carry with me from my time with peter is the idea that funny makes friendships last (laughs) okay Uh, so much of our whatever strife or conflict that we uh experienced in our long career together was always healed by humor and the fact that the two of us together could make one another laugh, okay? This is true of the whole group. The Fireside Theater, you know, four guys, four very smart, egotistical, uh, uh, performance-oriented men writing and working together is bound to create conflict over time, you know? And the one thing that always kept us together was that we could make one another laugh and we could could, uh, translate any kind of anger or angst that we had into into comedy. And that's the legacy that, that Peter gave me, uh, which was an, uh, this amazing understanding that humor heals everything. But there are lots of ways to remember Peter. For one thing, he, uh, he did Radio Free Oz podcasts, which were underwritten by our dear friend, the wonderful, wonderful actor John Goodman who was a very close friend of Peter's. And and Peter continued his Radio Free Oz persona when he was up at Whidbey Island by recording shows with David Osman. And then later in Santa Monica, in his his little apartment, he would do Radio Free Oz on a a daily basis into his computer and post these podcasts online. And they are still available. They're available on Apple Podcasts. But there's one thing I want to share. On his very last podcast, he said, well, he said an amazing thing, and this is what he said. Take heart, dear friends. We are passing through the darkening of the light. We're going to make it, and we're going to make it together. Don't get ground down by cynicism. Don't let depression darken the glass through which you look. This is a garden we live in, a garden seeded with unconditional love, and the tears of the oppressed, and the tears of the frustrated, and the tears of the good will spring those seeds. The flag has been waved. It says, Occupy. Occupy Wall Street. Occupy the banks. Occupy the nursing homes. Occupy Congress. Occupy the big law offices. Occupy the lobbyists. Occupy yourself. Because that's where it all comes together. I pledge to you, from this moment on, whatever it means, I'm going to occupy myself. I love you. See you tomorrow. Those were his last public words.
0: I don't even know how to answer that. I I really don't.
1: I'm sorry, I found it difficult to to read it without being emotionally moved. But Peter was uh, an amazing mind, and he was always political, and he was always the sharpest wit at the table, and he was fearless in his desire to speak the truth to power and I must say that his enormous energy lives on it lives on in us and it lives on in the way that I try to view the world
0: he was that big he loomed that that large I, I think that's something that most of us didn't know and I thank you for giving giving us an opportunity to see that part of Peter I think we understood um, the political aspect. I think we we understood uh, the, some of that strength, but we didn't really know how to separate that out from the fire sign. We didn't really know who was whom because you were such a cohesive group of 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 minds who had such a powerful presentation. It's
1: that true. I, we were, you know, we were <clears throat> futurists uh, in comedy, but basically. Our philosophy about that was that there was a fifth guy that that wrote the material. We called ourselves the four or five crazy guys.
0: I know. Is that a secret? Is that a secret who the fifth crazy guy is?
1: No, the fifth crazy guy is the combination of all of our compromises in wow. creating mm-hmm. the work that we wrote, you know, uh, because comedy is also the art of compromise, and you know it, i often thought of it as being like a witch's cauldron in which you know we would we would all throw certain uh pieces of the chicken uh <laughs> and and eventually out of that would emerge a turkey you know i mean <laughs> terrible metaphor <What laughs> an image. i don't even want to see that <laughs> <laughs> but it was you know it, it's it was it's a combination to to uh, of of our minds and our ideas our comic adventures together uh, a conversation, if you will, and and we we considered that the 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 ultimate work that we ended up with was didn't belong to any of us. It was the Firesign Theaters. It was this fifth guy, this this other creative energy that uh, that uh, ultimately you know uh, created the work that we got out to the public.
0: You know, I'm in awe of that because I would think that. From the way you describe it, that much talent in one room would have to explode. You know, to take the Beatles metaphor to the end, that's what happened to them, right? They couldn't any more compromise. They had to be each of them themselves. How did you do that for for nearly 50 years?
1: Well, we did it because we'd break up occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. But Joyce so got we, remarried.
0: You know, he yeah. always came back.
1: Yeah. It was... Uh, it, it was a marriage except there was no sex involved. And that's why we know. could stay together, okay? And no children. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's, that's good.
1: <laughs> right? So we, we all had our individual lives, which were as chaotic or as cohesive as everybody else's life <laughs> is. But we would get together and find, again, the healing power of comedy. And the fact that we, we, we all had something to say together you know, to observe where we were in life and what we what we now understood about uh, survival and comedy and the society and where it was in politics and war and all the rest of it. And we had a place where the four of us could basically write about it and, and, you know, create adventures about it. So that helped, helped us get through our lives.
0: What was the most important lesson that you've learned from your relationship with Peter? Loyalty. Really?
1: Peter was loyal and steadfast, and I could count on him to be there for me uh, in real life and in our comedy creations together. Because when we toured and spent so many so many hours together writing and touring and recording and playing. We we never had any conflict because there was a, a feeling that we needed one another. We needed one another to be able to achieve the the goals that we had in mind. And Peter was a very loyal and steadfast partner. It was a good relationship. Okay? And if ever any of us would get unbalanced, you know, for for whatever reason, Mm -hmm. uh, divorce or, you know, loss, I mean, Peter had a girlfriend at one point who had been a correspondent in Vietnam, and she uh, died in his arms of uh, an overdose of pills. (laughs) So basically, it was like a suicide and uh, and he survived that as well because we had one another. And that's that's all I can say about it. it, it it's, he's a part of me.
0: Well, that concludes this episode of Heart to Heart with Michael. And I want to thank Philip Proctor for sharing his memories about Peter Bergman. Please join us next month for another episode of Celebration, and I'll talk with you soon. But until then, remember... Our loved ones are still with us as long as we keep their memories alive. Thank you. Absolutely.
2: Thank you again for joining us. We hope you have gained strength from listening to our program. Heart to Heart with Michael can be heard every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. We'll talk again next time when we'll share more stories.